नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चार वक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑलराइट टुडेस डिस्कशन इज ऑन द लॉर्ड्स ऑफ नारकोटिक्स इन इंडिया सो जस्ट टू गिव यू अ ब्रीफ बैकग्राउंड एज टू व्हाई वी आर हैविंग दिस डिस्कशन लुक आई विल बी वेरी ओपन आई डिड नॉट वांट टू मेक दिस डिस्कशन अबाउट बिकॉज नो बडी वांट्स टू टॉक अबाउट आर्यन खान एवरीथिंग इज अबाउट शाहरुख खान का बेटा सो शाहरुख खान के बेटे के बारे में मुझे ये डिस्कशन नहीं करना था आई वाज लीस्ट बॉदर्ड अबाउट इट आई वांटेड टू मेक दिस डिस्कशन अबाउट द लॉज एंड द लीगैलिटी ऑफ द सब्जेक्ट सो आई रीच आउट टू निखिल एंड आई टोल्ड हिम भाई वी वॉन्ट टू टॉक अबाउट एवरीथिंग अदर दैन शाहरुख खान आई वॉन्ट टू टॉक अबाउट द लॉ एंड निखिल वॉज लाइक फेयर एनफ वील फोकस ऑन द लॉ सो निखिल थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग ऑन द पॉडकास्ट थैंक्स having me question a pleasure as always so nikhil let's start like this so as we have titled it and we have called it the laws of narcotics in india so why don't you begin by giving everybody who's going to be watching this right now or viewer you know listening to this later give them a brief about how is the legal landscape when it comes to these laws in india right so uh, everybody by now has repeatedly heard of the ndps act that is the narcotics Narcotics Drugs and Psychotropic Substances Act of 1985. Now, this came to be passed in 1985. Prior to this, uh, the legal regime was actually quite loose. So, you would arrest or pro- prosecute under various provisions of the Indian Penal Code. Not really a material point, but what is material is somewhere in the 50s and 60s, particularly the 50s. The U.S. in specific. started to push the idea and this was accepted by a lot of european nations that the drug menace is the single biggest problem that we're facing right over time and this at that time this was not clear over time it became clear for example that drug became a massive for, source of funding for terrorism as well and in fact it was the ltte which had mastered this art first up the ltte pretty much ran the southeastern Southeast Asian drug trade for a long time. They because they had maritime power. Very rare terror organization that was so well constructed that actually had maritime power. Right, so they used to control a lot of the drug trade in Southeast Asia. They had huge amounts of money and funding coming in because of that. Right, that's just a bit of a brand. But the main point was that around the 50, 60, 50s onwards, in the 60s, the United States and Europe start to come to this point that drugs are a massive issue. please recall through the 50s and particularly the 60s and 70s the use of recreational drugs was quite common was uh, an integral part of popular culture was celebrated in popular culture the music of the time celebrated it the cultural icons the pop icons in particular of the rock and pop icons of the time in particular were open about their use footballers were open about their use this was considered an integral part of having a good time right so we went from this sort of lasse fair to a real clampdown a hard clampdown and the first thing that happened and there were a number of conventions that came but the first convention that came was in 1961 and this is called the convention on narcotic drugs and it's a popularly this was one time and there were subsequent conventions passed in 71 78 so on so on the 61 really laid out the parameters and the definition of criteria and we will we will find within the law which sort of is a question to be asked on a scientific basis a question to be asked on a cultural basis a question to be asked possibly even on a moral basis is that it didn't really distinguish 
narcotics on the nature of the narcotic itself it distinguished them on the commodity and the quantity that you possessed but all drugs sort of fell within the same bracket of illegality right so you have cannabis on one end opium on one end moving all the way up to you know brown sugar heroin and and the and the more refined chemical drugs right so <clears throat> that was one of the critiques that in america we have seen has actually been the basis of decriminalization because the argument was that this kind of broad definition and this kind of broad criminalization the purpose of it essentially was racial and this was covert racism at play right be that as it is 61 uh and countries decide to give themselves a 25 year timeline to pass a law to enforce this dimension india has always a sort of chilled out <laughs> nothing's happening and i can tell you this almost every city every part of india used to have government like you have government liquor vendors you used to have government cannabis vendors you used to have used to have government opium vendors right and bhang for example still remains outside of the of the ndps right so we probably had a much more open and liberal approach to narcotic substances and this is probably in keeping a large degree with our own cultural roots because you know cannabis in particular is an integral part its usage is is described in our scriptures historically it's been described it's an integral part of various ayurvedic treatments cannabis was never looked upon as a uh, as a substance of harm within indian culture right so this is how we're sort of strolling along and and, and if you look you know how it's at an individual level some event will happen that changes things permanently at an individual level the scale of that event may be very small and you think at a national level the scale of that event would have to be very big but no it's individuals who govern nations and sometimes the pettiest considerations lead to the most seismic changes and what i mean by that is one of the theories as to why this law eventually came to be passed in 1985 by india right and not before has to do with this one gentleman by the name of adil charya adil this is this is by the way a a very interesting noted theory that has been put out in the media by various people from time to time right so a, everything i say is allegedly in as much as all of it is uh conjecture uh there is no way to prove any of it there is no way to link any of it but this was the conjecture that sort of came out adil sharia very interesting for there are certain hidden characters in recent indian history when you when you start discovering them right that's what you whatever you do when you start discovering these kind of characters you're doing research on the law and you discover this character and you suddenly all of it always in the context of india comes back to the character of the congress party and the kind of people that they were so sharia khan was the son of a gentleman by the name of mohammed yunus and mohammed yunus was india's ambassador to turkey iraq iran various other places very close to the gandhi khan as anybody who uh who intends to survive the kind of tale i will tell you uh, must be before 
this story starts. Let me tell you another great thing about it. And this is something people can look up. Adil Sharia was supposed to have been the agent for ACC who wanted to set up a plant in Andhra and Tamil Nadu in the 70s. The file for this landed up on the desk of one Raj Prakash Varshne, who's an IS officer who had expertise in this field, and he rejected it. So Adil Sharia used his contacts to lean upon Sanjay Gandhi to push Raj Prakash Varshne. Varshne still refused. Varshne was arrested during the emergency. Right? And when he filed for his habeas corpus, when he filed for bail, after repeated extensions under the MISA, the Maintenance of Internal Security uh, Act, when he, after repeated extensions, when he filed for bail, he set out a petition that sets out everything. He literally I was asked to sanction a particular project, I refused. And I refused. That is why I have been put in jail, so be it. At this time, having successfully concluded this deal, Adal Sharia moves to the United States. It's all, again, like I say, it's all conjecture, it's all coming from uh, various news sources, and I don't think that evidentially quality is very clear, right? But this is what we do know for a fact, though, is Adal Sharia got convicted in Florida. And he got convicted on very serious charges of fraud or wiretap of attempting to blow a, uh, blow up a vessel. Right? This is not small stuff. So he had a 30-year prison sentence. And the story goes that the NDPS Act was passed by India in 1985 to secure his release and at the same time conclude the deal for Warren and Union government. There's a change in the law, right? So there's a substantial change in the law. And now this act arrives, right? And everybody can look at this act and say, okay, it's got some good things to it, sure. There's a general the general purpose seems fine, but my word is it's it's so draconian in certain aspects, right? And one aspect I pinpointed to, which was that it makes very little distinction between the quality of the nature of drugs. I mean, it's, it's a harsh punishment what you do, whatever you do, right? It at least makes a distinction and a valuable distinction in terms of severity of punishment as well in the difference between consumption and trafficking, right? So end use consumption, the punishments are small. Trafficking, the punishments are not. But its definitional clauses are extremely loose. So consumption is never defined. And I'll tell you, this will become something important as we go along. Because while you've said we can't just keep talking about Aryan Khan, Aryan Khan has a case, the facts of which are commonly known. And it will be useful for us to reference just as a objective point in terms of understanding how the law applies right, from time to time. Not that I intend to go through the depths of that case, but from time to time we'll understand I'll do similarly with Riya Chakrabarti's case, with Shavik Chakrabarti's case. Because these are recent cases, people understand and they've heard them. And there is a genuine confluence between these cases and the way technology applies, right? Because all of this before technology is a different thing and all of it after technology is a completely different thing. Because the nature of what constitutes a statement has suddenly changed. Right? A statement used to be something that you spoke or you wrote. Well, now it's WhatsApp chats. It's other, other kinds of information, right? So... 
could be anything. Me, that is. When 1985 is long, it's past, and has very salutary aspects to it. One of the things, for example, in Section 7A, a a national fund is set up for limiting the use of narcotics and drugs. But the problem with setting up a fund of this sort, when you go through the provisions of why it is set up, they are actually quite salutary. Right? I'm not going to bother sharing screen, but I'm going to read something from this. I just I think it's useful to read what these purposes were. Right, so under 7A, the central government may by notification constitute a fund to be called a national fund for control of drug, drug abuse. Uh, and the fund shall be applied by the central government to meet the expenditure incurred in connection with measures taken for combating illicit traffic in narcotic drugs, psychotropic substances or controlled substances, controlling the abuse of narcotic drugs and psychotropic substances, identifying, treating, rehabilitating addicts, preventing drug abuse, educating public against drug abuse, so on and so forth, right? The problem is now you have a fund which is supposed to be sort of, it, it was a creative vessel. It, it, what, it, what it did was property, for example, that you seized in the pursuit of investigation and conviction in these cases, when it was sold, the money that was obtained from that would go into this fund, right? And there are, there are various forms by which state governments can seek funds from this larger, they can seek money from this larger fund. But what you did was you put the law enforcement expense is the first head. Right? Mm -hmm. So actually tracing illicit trafficking. The problem that happens then is all the money goes just towards that. And the more laudable goals, the lower, the lower goals there of treating and, and, and dealing with drug abuse and addiction those got somewhat sidelined. So if you will see, even today, the best drug abuse centers in the country, the largest ones, or, or where the most number of people lie, some of the others, a few of them are government, but most of them are private and voluntary initiatives. Yes. Right? And, and, and that sort of is a perfect symptom of how we approach the problem. Right? So that's section 70. And I wanted to go through, you know, we've done a podcast in the past on criminal procedure, uh, Kushal, at which time hmm. I, I sort of put it to people that there are very scary procedures in our CRPC. Right? There are scarier procedures in the NDPS Act. Okay? I'm not surprised. All the, all the scary procedures that's spoken of in the CRPC, the basis of them one of the most important bases of them, protections against them, is that a statement made to a police officer, whether confessional or of an admission nature, difference between an admission and a confession is that a confession confesses to the entirety of the crime or to a part of the crime in general. An admission may be only to a fact that may be an aid to a larger investigation, but not to the specific uh, crime itself. But such statements made to a police officer are inadmissible in evidence under the CRPC. Right? Bear that in mind as we go along. There are other procedures as well. Now, Section 27 and 27A, these set out, the, and, and 
I wanted to read 27A because just to give you a feel for the scale of punishments involved. So 27A is punishment of financing illicit trafficking, traffic and harboring offenders. Whoever indulges in financing directly or indirectly any of the activities specified in subclause 1 to 5 of clause 8A of section 2 or harbors any person engaged in any of the aforementioned activities shall be punishable with rigorous imprisonment for a term which shall not be less than Right, so that shall not be less than 10 years. Generally, if you look at IPC, other than the law break, where a minimum punishment is prescribed, generally there is a maximum punishment. Shall not be less than 10 years, but which may extend to 20 years. Right, so this, these are not, this is like once you're on, in the hook under this act, this is, you're put away for a long, long, long time, right? Which is fine, the severity of the action probably merits the severity of the punishment. But then when the punishment is so severe, you need to have more processual evenness. Because you don't want to be able to, you don't want to end up catching the wrong people. Right? So this is 27. And as we go along, section 31, 31A. These were two fairly egregious petitions, like egregious sections. What they essentially said, and I've not seen anything like this anywhere outside of this under Indian law. Mostly it's been amended now. But 31 and 31A dealt with people who repeat offenders, right? So if you got convicted for a trafficking offense for a second time, right? The death penalty at one time was mandatory. Right? So no discretion with the judge. The death penalty was mandatory. For trafficking? It was mandatory. Oh my God. Right? Mercifully, wow. in, 2014, in 2014, the Bombay High Court held that this provision was unconstitutional. For various reasons. It violated Article 21. It took away various rights of the accused. It uh, did not allow him, for example, to challenge sentencing per se. It did not allow him to challenge various aspects of his convictions and uh, the finality of the death penalty, right? So having a death penalty on record is one thing. Having a provision that makes a death penalty mandatory is a completely different thing. Anyway, mercifully, after the 2014 amendment by the Bombay High Court, this section stood amended. And after amendment, what the courts, have, what, what Parliament has said essentially is that you can now give a punishment which is one and a half times the original punishment, because it's a repeat offender, right? So one and a half times the punishment prescribed or death. So at least you have that option, right? So if you get some middle, middle level guy who's trying to make a living and is a peddler for that reason and you catch him, maybe you're going to think in terms of jail. If you get the kingpin, maybe you think in terms of death. It's the way it works. So if you, if you, if you go and get Pablo Escobar, no problem, give him death. Right? But if you get some middling guy, there's no need to give death. Anyway. Uh, the act does have, unlike a lot of other legislation, the act does have some protections. Well, not protections, but it, it, it provides guidelines for judges to exercise their discretion. So, for example, if you enter into this area where you're going to be enhancing punishment, 
section 32, 32A, B, etc. They, they set out various criteria based on which you may enhance punishment or you may give a higher punishment. Right? So if you if you are, for example, violent at the time at which you're being arrested, you're, you're trying to kill police officers, one or other, then your punishment is higher. But here's the killer, section 35. Now, here are some first principles of criminal law that I want people to understand. All crimes, right, other than the crimes of conspiracy, and so conspiracy is one of the rare thought crimes, right, comprise a mens rea and an actus reus. Simply put, mens rea is a state of mind. It is the okay. intent to commit. Sorry, I think you got the intent to commit an offense. That's good. the mental state, right? That's the mental state. So you have to, in any criminal prosecution, independently establish the intention to commit a crime. And the actus reus is the act itself, right? So let me give you an example of this. I want to stab a person, right? But as I try to stab them, someone else dives in front or falls and I end up stabbing them. It, my knife goes through their heart and they die. Mm -hmm. Right? My mental state, qua this person becomes a material question in my conviction. I had no intent to murder this person. Right? My punishment changes. Okay? I may have a large quantity of drugs. But the presumption is because it's large, it's considered commercial. I may very well have wanted to keep it for myself and consume it slowly over time. Or if I'm giving it to other people, I'm not doing it for profit. Okay, so so uh, so let but me clarify this, Nikhil. So, so no, so just just let me clarify. I have a query here. So I could be a person who is going to a big yacht party. I have a lot of money. You know how you know it is with you, friends. I think, Sometimes I think, I think you buy alcohol. Kushal, your question will be better served if I first read the section, then you can ask the question. Then I think the context. Okay, will okay, right? okay, okay. Presumption of culpable mental state in any prosecution for an offense under this act, which requires a culpable mental state of the accused. The court shall presume the existence of such men mental state, but it shall be a defense for the accused to prove the fact that he had no such mental state with respect to the act charged as an offense in that in that prosecution. Right? Now, the interesting thing with this is, in every other law, the prosecution must also prove the mental state. Like that example that I gave to you, right? Now, you had an example, so why don't you give me that example and then we'll try and apply the section. No, no, so I just want to understand. See, a lot of times what happens is when friends go out to party, so let's say you have a <laughs> it's a yacht party or you have a house party. What happens is I'm not talking about just drugs. You know, there's a lot of times just some friend says, hey, you know what? Liquor's on me. I'm going to buy liquor for everyone. So I'm going to buy all the liquor and there. So in, in a similar scenario, if I was to buy, I'm not encouraging it. I'm not telling people to consume drugs or anything. But I'm just saying if I was to buy, let's say, whatever, uh, weed or ganja or hashish or anything, Sorry, Kushan, I would be considered a distributor. 
so no so my 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 point was that let's say you know a lot of times friends you know somebody some friend in a party would say i'm going to get four bottles of whiskey five bottles of whiskey and everybody is going to drink but that friend has come but we never consider them as an alcohol uh, distributor but in the case of uh, drugs or narcotics or weed the moment you do that and you get it to a party you're considered a distributor according to this law right well distributor ki baad mein baat karenge there will be cases there uh it's a question of for profit or not for profit the word is dealer are you a dealer or a trafficker and these are different concepts we'll get there uh but just to your alcohol example also technically if you're purchasing or allowing the consumption of x or y amount of or even storing a certain limit and above of alcohol in your home you require a license right so shabash <laughs> So in the example you gave me, depending on the nature of the liquor, you, you know nobody enforces it, but technically he would be against the law because you require a license. Now the different thing is that that's a municipal law, so the most they're going to come and do is confiscate your bottles and fine you. They're not going to put you in jail. This stuff is of course far more serious. But what I was talking about was the mental state, right? So the mental state, establishing an an offense, a criminal's mental state is an integral part of the law, right? Uh, Let me give you an example again. Law murder again. I hit someone as hard as I can with a lathi, right? And I intend to hit them mostly in the midriff or in the torso and per se. What I'm not aware of is that they have, say, weak bones or something. And when I strike them as hard as I can with a lathi, the bone breaks and punctures the lung, and he dies. I can't mm-hmm. be guilty of culpable homicide amounting to murder because my intention was never to murder. So, so the intent matters a lot. I am guilty of culpable homicide not amounting to murder. You understand? Think, yeah, I get it. I think let that's fair enough. Let me give you an enough. example of the law of cheating. Right? So, let me give you an example from the law of cheating. For example, you and I enter into a contract. Where you pay me X rupees in exchange for goods that I will supply to you. I have a business in those goods. I intend to supply those goods, but my business takes a downturn and I fail. Right? That can't be called as cheating under the law of cheating. And I refuse to pay you back because I don't have the means. That can't be called cheating under the law of cheating. Cheating requires that from the day in which I entered into the contract and took your money, I intended not to not to do my part of the bargain. I only intended to take your money. Right? That's an evaluation of my mental state. So, in any such But transaction, but how do you know that? Circumstances prove these things. Circumstances prove these things. So, buddy, if you take a knife and you jab it through the ribs of a person right into their heart, you can forget about any arguments of mental state. Right? Yeah. The act itself makes the mental state clear. So, circumstances yeah. dictate these things. Sorry, I just need to sort out my air conditioning. Right. So, all I'm trying to drive at is that this is a very important part of the burden of a prosecution that has been removed in this case, in these cases. Right. So, if you are found with something, it's presumed that you are guilty. Right. <clears throat> And now, 
in the context of Aryan Khan and, and others and Rhea Chakrabarti, this particular provision has become very, very well-known and popular. Uh, yeah, so talk about that. Section 37, offenses to be cognizable and non-bailable. That's a very important thing here. I, what I read out to you right now is the heading of the section. It uses the word non-bailable. Right? But the section itself never uses the word non-bailable. You understand? Very interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah not, I'm how does that work around that? I'm just Explain that. I'm trying to come to that. I'm trying to come to that. It creates an ambiguity. It creates an ambiguity which is not easily resolved. I think that when you have criminal law and there is ambiguity in a criminal law, the benefit always should go to the accused. Because you have the right to make whatever law you want. If you don't make it properly, tough luck, the accused should get the benefit. Anyway, notwithstanding anything contained in the Code of Criminal Procedure, that means the CRPC bail provisions are out. And cognizance procedures are out. Because of this non-obstantic law, and we call this a non-obstantic clause, not anything that starts with notwithstanding. It's called a non-obstantic clause. So because of this non-obstantic clause, a particular argument will arise. Should every offense punishable under this act shall be cognizable? Now go back to that old podcast that we did on criminal. What is cognizable? Cognizable means a police officer can arrest now on his own power. Cognizable is a very important concept under Indian law. Cognizable means a police officer does not require a warrant or the nod of a magistrate to take to recognize that an offense is occurring in front of him. Right? And to take various steps necessary. No person accused of an offense punishable for offenses in Nigeria or 27A, which is trafficking. Right? And also for offenses involving commercial quantity shall be released on bail or on his own bond unless the public prosecutor has been given an opportunity to oppose the application for such release. And where the public prosecutor opposes the application, the court is satisfied there are reasonable grounds for believing, and this is a very important question, that he is not guilty right, of such offense and that he is not likely to commit any offense while on bail. I have to prove my innocence for bail. Right? And I'll go back okay. again to that old old podcast. How does section 37 get invoked? How does it get invoked? It gets invoked because the police officer decides, case I put a label of section 27A. You're a trafficker. Rhea Chakrabarti found it so hard to get bail for this reason. They put 27A in front of her case. That's all. It's just, it, it's, a, it's a document, which is the arrest memo. Usme 27A up. Right? Now that 27A arises, 37 happens. And what did the Bombay High Court hold in Rhea Chakrabarti's case? That any purchase that she made was for and on behalf of Sushant or for personal consumption. And there was no purchase made by her in order to either sell onwards for gain or to be a conduit in a larger uh, commercial operation. Right? They knew this on day one, did they not? The NCB? If the NCB didn't, Navika Kumar certainly knew it. Because there wasn't a word oh, yeah. of chat 
from WhatsApp that she didn't reveal. I mean, it's a, that that by the way, the minor mercy in Aryan Khan's case. No, I mean, there is no WhatsApp chat being blasted all over the place. I think that's what being Shah Rukh Khan gets you. Your son's WhatsApp chats aren't gonna get on to TV that easily, right? So be that as it may. The news is on day one, but they put that label, and once they put that label, now your problem is you have to prove that you're innocent, right? While at the same time your mental state is deemed to be culpable. But culpable to what? When Rhea Chakrabarti purchases, I can understand if you deem her mental state to be culpable. This is getting complicated, I know, but just stick with me. Mental state to be culpable for the purpose of consumption. Correct? I can reasonably assume when she's buying, she's buying to consume. And your mental state may be deemed to be culpable for that purpose. But you've put 27A. And so that same mental state culpability presumption now applies to 27A. Correct? So now I can only disprove my prove my guilt by showing the physical act does not comport to the section. She kept saying. How can you say if I buy so little or if I'm buying for one person, if I'm doing this, how can you say I intended to sell? I, I never intended to sell. Right? Eventually, the high court accepts the rebuttable presumption. But the magistrate himself could have done this if that other section wasn't in place. So these things look innocuous. They also look in legislation, they look innocuous. They also look like these are necessary because when you're reading the NDPS Act, honestly, what's on your mind is a guy like uh, Pablo Escobar. What's not on your mind? So if, if you take the full variance of, of, the, of, of the nature of persons involved in it, right? So you might have a Pablo Escobar on one end, but you might have your best buddy just poking up on the other. The law applies with that same rigor, same harshness to everyone. And people say, oh, this is a great thing. Because this is the equality of the law. It's equality of the law, but it is an unsubtleness. Because it doesn't distinguish circumstances properly. Yeah, so so if I understand this, like this is the law that says pickpocketing and murder should get the same punishment. Not not really, because not not really. But pickpocketing. If I'm caught pickpocketing once, I'm assumed to be part of a pickpocketing gang. And if I'm part okay. of a gang, then it's different for me. Right? And like, so, so again, just to reiterate this, what did I say? I said, 27A comes by way of a label that a police officer chooses on your actions. That charge is now laid at your feet. 35 assumes your mental state is culpable. By virtue of 27A being there and the presumption of multiple of, of mental culpability, now all you can do is to prove that somehow I didn't do this. And you you have to do that much before you get bail. We're not even on actual conviction there. And this is why the trafficking charge in Aryan Khan's case is so vital. You know, people are jumping up and down on the conscious possession. We'll, we'll deal with conscious 
expression. It's an interesting concept. It's a necessary concept. It's a badly applied concept in his case, but it's a necessary concept. But it's not the conscious possession which is trouble. Right? Now, in Rhea Chakraborty's case, they did one more thing. I read to you that non-obstante clause, right? Not, notwithstanding anything contained in the Code of Criminal Procedure, every offence punishable under this Act shall be cognizable. No problem. Now, under the CRPC, generally offences under two years imprisonment are bailable. Right? But this non-obstante clause is used by the Bombay High Court in Rhea Chakraborty's case to say, by virtue of it, the CRPC simply does not apply every offence under... The NDPS Act is non-bailable because the title to the section says non-bailable. Even though the section itself does not say non-bailable. The counter-argument will be the non-obstante clause exists, but it only applies qua what follows. And what follows is notwithstanding anything contained in the CRPC, all offenses are cognizable. Right? And for certain offenses, you will not give bail until the other person proves himself not to be guilty. Condition 1. And two, they will not commit the same offense while out on the game. Right? It does not say that the provisions relating to an offense being bailable under the CRPC for its non-severity for being less than one or two years of punishment does not apply. And that's been read in. And this used to be normally the law. People would get picked up. Six grams of charas, four grams of charas, one tola, half tola. You know, joint in their pocket, something. Police officers can't wrap them on the knuckles and give them bail. It was deemed to be bailable. Didn't even need to go to a magistrate. But that judgment turns that proposition on its head, right? And I saw a lot of lawyers who uh, on on Twitter that time happily proclaiming all offenses under the NDPS are non-bailable. That's what the Mumbai High Court says. It's a proposition. That merits a lot of discussion and merits a lot of challenge before the Supreme Court last week. Right? Uh, now, do you remember you do remember from that last podcast we done the, the procedure podcast? The wonderful section 41 of the CRPC, which allowed arrest without warrant. <laughs> right? And that arises when an offense is deemed cognizable. This is why I read section 37. All offenses here are cognizable. That same power of arrest now comes. Right? But here's the interesting thing. I'm going to read this to you just because I want you to be clear. More often than not, it is not police officers who are enforcing the NDPS. Okay? Any such officer, being an officer superior in rank, blah, blah, of the Department of Central Excise, because in the course of excise investigations, you find drugs, you have the power. Narcotics, that's the NCB. Customs, DRI, the Department of Revenue Intelligence, or any other department of the central government, including paramilitary forces or armed forces, is empowered in this as is empowered in this behalf by general special order or anyone similarly empowered by the state government if he has reason to believe from personal knowledge that is you have seen it or information given by any person and taken down in writing this is important 
important protection. You have to reduce that information to writing so that we know what you knew at that moment. Validate the arrest. That any narcotic drug or psychotropic substance or controlled substance in respect of which an offense punishable under this act has been committed or any document or other article which may furnish evidence of the commission of such offense is kept concealed in any building, conveyance or enclosed place may between sunrise and sunset do what? Enter, seize, all of that, but also detain and search and if he thinks proper, arrest any person whom he has reason to believe to have committed any offence unpunishable under this act. So you saw the range of governmental officials who possess this power. Right? Now, one of the questions, and I, and I kept telling you earlier, statements made to a police officer are not admissible as evidence. So what would happen mm -hmm. in NCP cases and, and, and narcotics cases was if a customs officer arrested you or a DRI officer arrested you or an NCB officer arrested you, they would compel you to make a statement, this famous voluntary statement that is, for example, also being held against Aryan Khan. And that statement, they would argue, is admissible in court as evidence. Whereas what I've read to you, these are manifestly police powers. There is a famous judgment. This is so messed up. This is so messed up. It is so messed up. It is so messed up. There is a famous judgment in 1962, state of UP was Barkhara, which established the test for who is a police officer and who is not a police officer. And it set up a test which, in my opinion, is extremely narrow and facetious. A police officer is someone who can file a police report. That makes no sense to me. And so therefore, anybody who can't file a police report under the CRPC is not a police officer at all. None of these people then would be police officers. Right? Just hold this idea. I'm going to read a few more provisions and we'll come back to this idea. You're similarly, you have power of seizure and arrest in a public place. But this is what section 43 is what would have been exercised to arrest Aryan just before he boards Aryan Arbaz and all the other eight accused before they board that Cordelia mm -hmm. cruise ship. Right? Section 54 Presumption from possession of illicit articles. In trials under this act, it may be presumed unless until the contrary is proved that the accused has committed an offence under this act in respect of any narcotic drug or substance, blah, blah. If he is found in possession, assumed to be have committed the offence. Whether it is transitory possession or not doesn't matter. You, you are presumed to have committed the offence because it's, it's found in your hand. Now come back to this. 67. Power to call for information, etc. This is a very important provision. Any officer referred to in section 42 is authorized in his behalf by the central government or state government may, during the course of any inquiry in connection with the contravention of any provision of this act, call for information from any person for the purpose of satisfying himself whether there has been any contravention of the provisions of this act or any rules or order made under. Uh, examine any person acquainted with the facts and circumstances of the case. So now what do these guys do? The NCB goes and says, look, we are not police officers. We have the power, however, to call for information. We detained these guys. They gave us a voluntary statement. What the statement they gave under 
67 they have signed, it is a voluntary statement. In contrast, if, he, if they were in a police station and this was not a drugs offense, that statement would not be worth the paper it is written on. The signature would not even matter. Right? So this is what they this say. Some state, laws so I was trying to say, so, again, it's an excellent law if you catch Pablo. It's a really shitty law if the guy under the hammer is your best friend talking up. Right, this this is the difference. Uh, as a brief outlay of the law. So, before I proceed, do you want to have more questions on this side? Yeah, yeah, no. So, so I, I actually will take the live viewers' questions because uh, you know, because then there's, there's so, other things that I want to address. No, no. So, I think these laws uh, can be. One <laughs> person <laughs> reasons? So, 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 bhang wale bach gaye. Kam se kam. <laughs> so, government ki dukaan mein jaake bhang pilo bhaiya. That is, that is a lot. Achha, no, no. But, uh, this is a question I want to take Nikhil seriously. So, uh, a regular viewer and he actually watches uh, most of your discussions with me. So, he has asked, Nikhil bhai, do you think due to the neighborhood, uh, uh, that India is surrounded by a death penalty for illegal drug trafficking becomes a necessity and that is why we have such draconian laws. Are there geopolitical reasons is what he's going to ask. I, I, I am actually quite non-committal on the death penalty per se. Honestly, because I find it it's, it's an issue too complicated for my meager capacities. Uh, I think death penalties they arise in certain the, the problem with the provision here is not, not just a death penalty provision, it was a mandatory death penalty provision. And that's a different thing altogether. Right? That's a very draconian way of looking at things. Now, you may be in a particular neighborhood. I understand that there are problems with where we stay and, and, and what we're surrounded by. But you've got to be very mindful of who's getting prosecuted, what are the kind of statistics we're looking at. And uh, what are, for example, the who is getting caught under all of this? You know, these, these are these are the important elements here. Hmm. So, I mean, that's my answer to you. The death penalty, fine. You can. I have a very big. Uh, issue generally with the deterrence argument on death penalties. I, I don't know how well it works. And sometimes in certain kinds of offenses, particularly more social offenses, social interaction offenses like rape, etc., the death penalty can have a very negative effect on the propensity of magistrates to record a conviction. Mm -hmm. These don't work so simply. You know, here again, a magistrate might look at someone, 21-year-old kid, come out of a chawl somewhere, gets caught with some drugs on his hand. If I if I convict him, he's going to die. Why should I convict him? Let me find some way out. You know, that kind of thing can happen. Okay. Now, this is... Uh...
one question that I have, and somebody in the viewers also also asked this. Let me twist it a little bit and ask this question to you. So it's obviously you said you know these laws are designed as if they want to catch the real Pablo. So in India, let's just get real. In India, our Pablos are in many cases. I don't want to take names, but सबको पता है these are you know it's a nexus which involves. the social elements the political elements and in some cases even the law enforcement elements so i mean india mein to pablo bhi decentralized hai sare ke sare trafficable that's the beauty of the law every becomes everyone becomes a trafficker that breadth of definition is what the ncb often uses to say even rita chakraborty was a trafficker if i hand over drugs to someone i am a trafficker that's what they were trying to do This is, I mean, this this law is crazy. But anyways, I I think uh, 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 you should continue with the next half of the laws, I, and then I, maybe I, I'll I ask some more questions. I understand your intervention. I understand context of your question, and to that end, there is an excellent study that was done by uh, Didhi Legal. Forgetting the names of the authors, let me see if I can find the authors. Uh, One second. Yeah. A small paper that was done by Neha Singhal and Navid Ahmed for Vidhi Policy, Vidhi Vidhi Central Legal Policy, um, and they did a. So the highest number of convictions, highest number of arrests for NDPs all happen basically in Maharashtra, but mostly in Bombay. Because these are, you know, port cities in particular are big conduits, right? Natural thing. Airports, big conduits. Our big airports, etc., always in our largest cities. So really, it's an act being enforced in most of our large cities. Then once in a while, you'll get this Nepalese border where there's a conduit happening, whether on the Bihar side or the UP side, wherever it is. You'll get some major arrest there. But in your smaller towns, in your smaller cities, nobody's getting arrested for like a little bit of, you know, uh, carrying a little bit. But here's the interesting thing. They cite, and this is from their study. In 2018, 81,777 pers- persons were arrested under the NDPS Act. 59% of those were found in possession of substances for personal use. So, where are we using our resources? Right. Listen to this. During the course of our research, we analyzed ten thousand six hundred sixty-nine cases from magistrate courts in Mumbai. Ninety-nine point nine percent of these cases involved consumption of a narcotic substance, not trafficking. Consumption, what we call a victimless crime, right? Wherever information on the kind of substance informed, informed, involved was available, eighty-seven percent of the cases involved cannabis. This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is. These are the kind of statistics, right, that shook the foundations of the so-called war on drugs in America. They got clear of these kind of statistics and said, "Man, this is such a colossal waste of money." That is not. I. I am not for a moment suggesting that we don't require a robust anti-trafficking police mechanism. But that's exactly what we require—an anti-trafficking policing mechanism. Let's not chase down ordinary consumers. 
logical argument everybody always gives is oh but if consumers didn't exist traffickers wouldn't exist no that's not true. Uh, Nik- Nikhil, just to add a little bit on your data, act- so just to add a little bit to your claim, I just wanted to share this uh, screen and an article the, which was sourced from directly uh, from uh, government data. So this was uh, this article was uh, on September second, two thousand twenty. This is updated on September second. This was how badly does India crave for banned drugs? So just sharing it for everyone. The source of this article was. Uh, uh the UNODC Ministry of Social Justice and Empowerment Government of India yes, yes, AIA yes, yes. MS and okay so this is high use of illicit drugs in India prevalence of opioid use in India is is much higher than the global or asian average is what it said so this was opioids cannabis ats and cocaine so this is uh, interestingly nikhil if you see in the world india's cannabis usage is less which was uh, a shocker i'm just going to share all the details so uh, you know people who are uh, there uh, going to be watching this uh, can we see so look at this huh? drug addicts nearly 44% of the reported drug addicts in india are trying to give up using drugs but only one fourth of them have received any treatment nikhil only 25% of the people receive that's, that's, treatment that's what we're getting at right so if you set up fund fund one of the aims in the fund is you can also use it for the criminal for the purpose of criminal investigation and all the money goes to the criminal investigation and you don't end up actually looking at the alleviative mechanisms so this was the state wise uh, distribution in this article and this was a brilliant article right uh, this was the state wise prevalence of current use of opioids uh, i recommend everyone to go and uh, check this uh, this study out it was it was purely data based another interesting thing that i found out when i was studying and researching this is there are some sections that you know were very interesting in terms of this act too that you know let's say like section 21 uh, that you spoke about does not dis- uh, distinguish between you know uh, possession distribution manufacturing sale of any like narcotic or psychotropic substance but then when it comes to the punishments on section 27 there was also one option there right where you can uh, have the option of one year in prison or issue an order Uh, where the judge can send you to a de addiction center and then 64a provides users immunity from prosecution if they agree to be rehabilitated in a de addiction center now if they fail their rehab then they are sent to jail was one thing that i found very interesting and no, 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 then no, sec- I... uh, under section sorry go on go on Then there was one more section that I came across, which was four two D in the Act that mandates the Union government to take measures for identification, treatment, education, aftercare, rehabilitation, and social integ- reintegration of users. Then Section seven A mandates the constitution of a national fund for control of drug That's abuse in courts. It... That's the fund yeah. I've been referring so... to you about. yeah so, so that's the fund the fund says the fund shall be applied by the central government to meet the expenditure incurred in connection with measures taken for a combating illicit traffic in narcotic drugs psychotropic and substances or controlled substances in that combating element which is a policing element that's where all the money goes but yaar isme b mein bhi likha hua hai c d c b a d b a e b a and it they are they are i'm not disputing that they exist i'm saying what do we actually doing so it, it, it's a shocker for me because i'm just trying to understand this like 
you know de addiction centers so i'll give you an example of karnataka like in karnataka you know every district hospital is supposed to earmark like 10 beds for these de addiction issues but most of those is- beds are taken up by alcohol so all the other you know opioid or other drug uh, addiction ka patients they're not given any de addiction center ka infrastructure sab kuch uh, alcohol leke baith gaya hai and it's basically an infrastructure issue in india india is not providing de addiction centers by the way i i did read up on it actually the modi government has increased a lot of capacity when it comes to de addiction centers I, and this is not because i'm a modi voter or anything i've actually read this up and the number of de addiction centers have yeah, increased but, but, but that is a fact this has to rise in any event as we go to the future but but i get that i get that but, but here here's a statistic there is a report called the magnitude of substance abuse in india from the central government's own ministry of social justice and empowerment it says that at this point india has 30 million cannabis users right whoa supposing you applied the law to all of them they'd all be in jail <laughs> what are you going to do with 30 million cannabis 30 million convictions man 30 million cannabis users okay there are 60 lakh people with opioid disorders 60 lakh is nothing in the context of our larger country and if we really bore down on the infrastructure we could deal with this right yes and people doing hard drugs in the estimate of the central government is only 8 and 1/2 lakhs to thoda baat ka na batangad ban chuka so so just a uh, uh, question if uh, so what if someone was just in contact with a dealer not taking not giving anything unko bhi cheb diya jayega look that depends on the case the police officer is making at that point in time no you are so so this is now now i'm going to come to that very tricky so let, let's assume i'm going to ask a great a question i will pondering i actually don't have got answer to it yet what does consumption mean I'm asking you, what does consumption of drugs mean? But consumption of drugs is a very blurry line, right? It is the classical paradox. So I'll give you the analogy of abortion, right? In abortion, also this question comes up all the time. Where, when does that you know little cell, that fetus, uh, become a viable life? Is where, and sometimes they just draw an arbitrary line. Now, as far as I'm concerned, uh, like even if somebody was to say you're consuming this for recreational purposes, even in the case of alcohol, you know, कुछ लोग एक पैक मार्केट अली हो जाते हैं, कुछ ऐसे खुले सांड होते हैं, उनको पांच पैक के बाद भी वो टस से मस नहीं होते, so उनके लिए पांच पैक भी रेक्रिएशनल है, किसी के लिए एक पैक भी रेक्रिएशनल है. This is such a subjective problem because your biology, in the case of let's say marijuana, now. saying what amounts to consumption as an offense as a layman what would you understand it to be i don't know i think consumption as an offense cannot be defined that is the biggest problem i think why? only and only why? distribution distribution and dealership can be defined oh, why by having a having two drags of a joint is it not consumption it is consumption as in you to ek drag bhi loge to consumption hai ha so i'm trying to get at right now This is one of the features of the Arun Khan case. If I say there is consumption and I'm a police officer, right? That consumption has to be, in my view, real-world consumption. That is, it can't exist in the bloody matrix. It must be in the real world. The consumption, right? So I mm-hmm. say you're a consumer. 
Why? Because I arrested you in a room full of people who are smoking up in any event. And I have either medical evidence for you or I have medical evidence generally for everyone. But I have proof that you were in the same room at that moment in time. You must have also been consuming. Presumptively, right now, you're a consumer. If I have to convict you, in my view, you should have medical evidence that he's actually consuming. Right? You can do a hair test. You can do whatever test you want. And you've actually consumed the so-called psychotropic substance for a conviction on consumption. Right? One of the arguments the NCB uses in Aryan Khan's case is that he has confessed to consumption on WhatsApp in the past. What? Right? So there's no real-world drugs there. You get what I mean? This is consumption yeah, without so any... Usko basically... तूने आज गाड़ी नहीं ठोकी मगर तूने लिखा है तूने पिछा पास में गाड़ी ठोकी थी तो तू आज गाड़ी ठोकू है राइट सो इफ द डेफिनेशन ऑफ कंजम्पशन डजंट इधर ले आउट एविडेंशियरी स्टैंडर्ड्स और डजंट ले आउट क्लियरली एनी पीरियड ऑफ लिमिटेशन देन एम आई गिल्टी ऑफ कंजम्पशन इफ यू फाइंड आउट दैट आई स्मोकड अप 5 इयर्स अगो My point isn't that it is hard to prove. It will be hard to prove. I will eventually get out, walk away. That's not a problem because you won't be able to prove it clearly. Court, the mm-hmm. NCB is trying to say the value of a WhatsApp chat is as high as a confession, a voluntary Ay, confession, a voluntary extrajudicial confession, right? I could walk into court and say, "I was just shaking my head." I was bigging myself up. It would have sounded very cool to everyone that I consume. So therefore, I, I said that I consume. What are you going to do as the NCB? Nothing you can do, right? Be that as it may. How do they go about what they do manage to do with this WhatsApp? Is what what I'm trying to drive at. If you look at that trial court order and the way the trial court order goes about things, it would accept that the arrest is valid based on that WhatsApp chat. It would accept proof of consumption. proof of purchase based on these voluntary statements what i call the voluntary section 67 statements which fortunately eventually supreme court bore down on all of this and passed a judgment in tufan singh versus state of tamil nadu and went back to that fundamental legal question remember they don't ask the question of whether the confession is admissible or not question they ask is whether the statement made to a police whether the statement was made to a police officer so by majority of 2 to 1 they eventually held ncb officers are police officers so these so called voluntary statements under 67 are no evidentiary value you can still get a confession mera ek question hai nikhil mera ek question hai ye whatsapp chat pe what if say you know XYZ person was in a country where recreational marijuana is legal, or maybe I'm in Holland. And at that time, when I was having a WhatsApp chat, or that person was having a WhatsApp chat, that person would have said, "Yes, I have consumed marijuana," and I did not mention the location where I did. That becomes permissible as evidence now. Absolutely, that's the problem. That's what that's what the NCB would want yeah. you to believe. that's what they want you to believe but the courts have come back on this also and they have said 
although this is only a procedural protection, what they've said is WhatsApp chats are inadmissible evidence unless backed by a Section 65B certificate under the Evidence Act. Of the manner of the of the authenticity of that particular chat. Now, I'm telling you right now, we've done one other podcast on big tech, right? Where we spoke a lot about end-to-end encryption. And the thing with end-to-end encryption is because it creates privacy, it also necessarily creates a degree of authenticity. Right? The, the, the ability for any third party to break your break into your phone from the outside and tamper that chat is actually quite low because of the nature of WhatsApp's architecture, right? So I think this might be the kind of case in which people turn around and say, I had enough of WhatsApp. What's the most dangerous thing out there? Or we need to have a disappearing messages kind of system and switch to signal. And that kind of thing, right? These are the kind of thoughts that emerge, but be that as it may, so WhatsApp chats require a 65B certificate and this has now been held by more than one high court in the context also of a bail hearing and not merely of a trial and a conviction, final argument and trial. Right. So uh, the case I'm citing is Rakesh Kumar Singla versus Union of India from Punjab and Haryana High Court. We are not looking at chats, WhatsApp chats, if they don't have a 65B certificate authenticating what is the source, where did you get it from, what's going on, that kind of Right. And just to get a feel for the kind of evidence that is necessary, a feel for the kind of offense when, when it's sort of complete, Shavik Chakraborty's case is cited in RN Khan's case. Right. Mm-hmm. And Shavik Chakraborty's case had certain facts to which the trial court in RN Khan's case says, boss, this is same to same identical case. Yeah. And it unabashedly cites a paragraph from Shobhi Chakravarti's case. Shobhi Chakravarti's case says he had been in touch with dealers, constantly held a commercial quantity. Right? There's a schedule in the NDPSI. It sets out two quantities based on the particular drug. You know, cannabis, what is called as a small quantity, and what is called as a commercial quantity. Right? So MDMA, for example, 0.5 grams is a small quantity and 10 grams is a commercial quantity. Right? So in Shavit Chakrabarti's case, all those dealers were shown to have commercial quantity. And he was shown to have monetary transactions with all. Okay. Right? If you are a trafficker, this starts to become better evidence. His case, of course, was I was only purchasing for a few friends. There is no money. I'm not making profit or gain from this. Right? So it is natural that if I'm purchasing small quantities for individual persons, I will have monetary transactions with those sellers. Right? So that's his case. Now, what happens in RM Khan's case? R.N. Khan's case, there are nine people arrested. There are actually more arrested. Let's look at A1 to A9. A9 is the one guy who's caught with MDMA. Right? And his MDMA possession is 0.54 grams. 
that's above small but it is well short of commercial hmm so there's a third concept the court introduces they are this is a bulk quantity and without any evidence of interaction between rn and that a9 it imputes the possession of a9 to rn and deny you are all in a joint conspiracy together and therefore as if to say so therefore if i were to take that case at face value it means arun khan went on to that cruise ship he's sort of the kingpin he's not going to have anything on him he's not going to have cash on him he's not going to have drugs on him but everybody else on his directions is selling drugs that's how the case sort of gets bit i'm using his case just to say that this is the kind of so you can it is perfectly conceivable in the case of pablo escobar himself for example if you replace him he will not have cash on him he will not have drugs on him but he has control hmm right but how do you prove it said you have to start nailing the people in the chain and they have to start naming the person then you will find evidence of more economic transactions so on and so forth right so that's the, that's the way a case of this sort gets built a separate leg of this charge is a very interesting concept called conscious possession right you are consciously aware that a person who is accompanying you is in possession of narcotics and these are for your purpose whether it is for consumption or sale whatever it is so i'll give you an example of a case in which a, the court finally acquitted a person who was sitting in a car in a private vehicle with another person the owner was the driver this person the acquitted person was uh, not the owner of the car he is a passenger in the car and a bulk quantity of heroin or cocaine i think it was is found encased under the bonnet of the vehicle right he is initially arrested on the grounds of this is not just possession qua the other guy possession qua you as well you are in conscious possession you were in that car because you were aware of this existence he was able to prove he was not aware and one of the circumstances the court accepted was the manner in which you came to be in the car was a coincidental manner and you had no, and since the, these drugs were concealed in the way in which they were you had no reason to know that there were drugs being concealed in the vehicle and so therefore not conscious possession but the concept of conscious possession is an important one because supposing there are five people sitting in a car their intention is in fact to uh, sell drugs to traffic drugs right and in some hidden mm-hmm. compartment of the vehicle there are a, there is a commercial quantity of drugs right the other five can't turn on and say owner sirf yahi hai sirf isi ka hai they are in conscious possession of those drugs as well and they and they and ncb has every right in that circumstance to investigate them thoroughly 
So this is the problem that these are good concepts. They're necessary concepts. They're an integral part of NDPS jurisprudence or narcotics jurisprudence anywhere in the world. If you didn't have these concepts, you wouldn't convict a majority of the people who need to be convicted under these laws. Absolutely must be convicted under these laws. Right? But don't apply them in weird ways. So in Aryan Khan's case, it's six grams of charas in his best friend Arbaz Merchant's shoe. He, there is no WhatsApp chat that is quoted in that order that deals directly with those specific six grams other than to say, let's have a blast. I don't know if you saw during the course of argument, this has become very controversial. The let's have a blast argument that NCB made. He's got six grams of charas with him. They say, let's have a blast. That means they want to consume. Right? Mercifully, the bail order of rejection does not rely on that evidence. But what does it rely on? It relies on the voluntary statements. That in the voluntary statements, they have said that we went to consume. Now, if I, if I go back to the first principles I've been speaking of on this podcast, that means they have no evidence of anything. Other than possession of six grams by Arvaz Merchant, which until the Bombay High Court in Rhea Chakraborty's case made into a non-bailable offense, used to always be a bailable offense. In fact, the police officer himself would let you off. Right away. Okay, I have one question here. Every, these, every time this... this laws, Go on, go on. So every time we discuss these cases, you will hear the bogey of national security. Oh, do you see how much terrorism is funded through drug money, this and that and that. So how does one answer to them? That's like, wh wh uh, so why that, does... Uh, a First and foremost, most people who make this kind of argument don't actually know statistics. Right? They know one fact. They've been told and they're right that terror is financed by drugs. No doubt. Right? But India is a low-value destination for drugs. Highly low-value destination for drugs. The central government's own report is saying when it comes to hard drugs, you have 8.5 lakh users net in a country of 1.3 billion bus. We are a transit destination. We are a destination where drugs enter, but then they move towards Southeast Asia to the richer venues like Singapore, like Hong Kong, like Kuala Lumpur, like uh, Thailand and, and Australia and onwards. So controlling trafficking is a necessary obligation at our end. But I think we can be wiser about end consumers, right? Particularly given that on, on the one hand, they say eight and a half lakh total consumers of uh, hard drugs, but 30 million consumers of cannabis, 30 million consumers of cannabis, if three crore consumers of cannabis, boss, three crores means that you have a reasonable amount of adult population whom this is an aspect of everyday existence, aspect possibly of culture. Uh, are right? we it kidding ourselves that we have 3 crore consumers yeah. of cannabis in India? <laughs> no, no, so 3 crores is what they would consider to be regular consumers of cannabis. Like people who okay, that, that I can buy. But, but, all, but people who have cannabis on and off in India must be at least 10 crores plus. 
I, I don't know how many it will be, but I'm, I'm sure that number will be much higher. And I'm, then they are also people who probably consume once a year, twice a year, something of that sort. You know, if even that. Right? So, so we've got to, what we've gone and done is one of my favorite phrases. We've taken a bit of an elephant's foot approach. Something that possibly needs more subtlety now. And we've got to start looking at what the Americans have themselves sort of accepted and admitted, right? So you have 16, 26 states in America are legalized cannabis, right? Think of the economic opportunity we are losing on things like hemp, opium, cannabis. I mean, massive opportunities being lost. The problem is the fear mongering. If you say you legalize it, that's not how life works, right? Amsterdam has had legalization for eons. Their population is not addicted in any mean way. Canada may recreational marijuana totally legal. Yeah. And nobody, nobody, and it's nobody's case that now suddenly therefore everybody is a constant user. And you know, society has collapsed. So this fear-mongering, because the thing is, laws like the NDPS Act. Because they create this umbrella concept of drugs are everything and sort of create this, this colloquial parity between cannabis and cocaine in the minds of the common man, the whole thing becomes a debate you can't even have. Uh, just, to, just to make your point even more poignant, so this is the map of marijuana. This is legalized medical and decriminalized medical, decriminalized CBD only and fully legal. This is the map of America. This is just, you know, for the benefit of our viewers, obviously, and the ones who are listening to time process. fact that some of these are square states, as we call them the square states, right? A lot of these are square states, um, mm-hmm. especially on the medical and decriminalized or medical uh, and criminalized, medical and decriminalized or fully legalized. But they must be actually approaching this from a pure libertarian perspective, whereas the liberal states will have a completely different reasoning to the same thing. But yes. this is what polity, this is what polity does, that you can at least have this debate. When you have this debate of opposing sides can come to the same outcome, maybe for different reasons. Yes. Yeah, I, I I think, see, you know, I, and I know we have to wrap the discussion up too, but, you know, just before no, no, we wrap I, I, I'm, wrapping up, I'm, I'm happy to take questions. I, I, my, my thing is that if I, I don't think for the purpose of a podcast here, it's very necessary to go into much deeper, stronger minute of law, right? I mean, I, it's not, yeah, yeah. my purpose here is not to delve into judgments on every single aspect and so to give you a good bird's eye view of how the law operates, what the kind of case law is, how the law is developing, what are the statistics that are emerging, and how do you want to now inform the larger debate? Exactly. And that that's what I was trying to get at. That I, I think I took the live viewers' question. So, you know, maybe we can chat about this for five, five, ten minutes, and then we'll wrap things up. But here's the thing. See, the entire discussion on consumption or drugs in India, I think is, obviously, I'll have a detailed podcast on this, on maybe with a social worker who, you know, deals with cases of uh, drug addiction in India in detail. But this has this is what I have always been bothered by. Look, you know, people often talk about uh, the Dutch model or the or the the Portugal model, right? Sorry, you're the getting, model in you're Portugal. 
No, no, I saw you no, disconnected. So, Can you repeat again? No, no. So, so what I was saying is often a lot of times in, in this discussion on marijuana, right? Uh, a lot of times the Dutch model is discussed or the Portugal model is discussed, but those models are not just carrots. They're a model of carrot and sticks. And often people don't understand that in many cases, there is a difference between illegal, legal and decriminalized. And a lot of things when it comes to these, uh, you know, hard, hard drugs and stuff like that in in these two countries, they are decriminalized. They may not be legal. <laughs> so the people need to understand that also. But when it comes to this overall discussion, I think the biggest thing that is missing, and I will be doing a detailed discussion on this, like I said, with social workers, is that, you know, there is no empathy. And that's what hurts me. A lot of times, this, this really hurts me that, you know, it's a question of empathy, uh, you know, that that doesn't exist now uh, somebody has asked me a question about you know has there been any use with these laws in addiction trodden state like punjab look the answer is that we keep catching them they keep getting better and nobody is even arguing about whether punjab should not have laws obviously it's a national security question we should have all these laws but this is not the point there has to be like nikhil has explained in today's discussion is we have to have a discussion about you know how can you treat a uh, uh, occasional consumer the same as a distributor or a dealer or someone who is a national security threat i think it's ridiculous and also you know, shows some empathy to people well, well written article by shekhar gupta on this actually the other day in the print uh, where he actually punjab and he is very uncomplimentary towards the urda punjab movie it's like this film tended to create the impression that everybody in Punjab is constantly on drugs. This is rubbish. It's not. I mean, if you're saying eight and a half lakh net hard drug users, then that's not, you know, the, the impression that film gives us 10 times as many are just there in Punjab itself. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're overplaying, overrepresenting the problem. You have to accept that human beings largely, most of them make rational choices. They don't want to be involved in hard drugs. They understand what hard drugs will do to their lives. But families we... suffer. Yeah, families suffer. Karti hai ki nahi, parivar nahi dekhta hai. Are, let alone hard drugs. Yeah, alcohol bhi families or lives ko destroy karta hai ki nahi. I mean, the, the, the stats in alcohol, I think, will be far, far worse. They'll be far worse. So that's my whole point. See, I have always maintained, see, people think that I am some ganjedi nashedi who is like, Are, sab marlo, sab legal kar do. I don't even make that point. My whole point is that what laws and their efficiency is my point. And you know it. We, look, we're friends. We, we've had these discussions so many times on the phone, just, you know, in our casual conversations. And what bothers us all the time, both you and I, when it comes to laws in India, is they're so weirdly structured that, and it is your line. The process is the punishment in India. And this is, again, the classic case. You, you, if you have to and you know what? I want to make this point also. Yes, we have used the Aryan Khan case, but I am fed up of Shahrukh Khan being mentioned all the time. Abba, what is jail? Shahrukh Khan. Very articles are Shahrukh Khan represents India. Nah, he doesn't represent me. I'm sorry to say that. You know, Kabi Koi represent Kardata Koi. Oh, Baskar, do yar. 
this is not about that there and and nikhil beautifully mentioned this the diversity of opinions in america even when they you know legalize marijuana so the hard left progressive side we will start creating medicinal benefits in marijuana that don't exist or have not been proven in any study yeah. at all and they will they will bloody find any medicinal benefit in it and by the way let me break it to you beyond a few benefits here or there there is literally no proven science or medical benefits of marijuana beyond a certain limit so don't start the uh, libertarian most, argument most is look psychological studies is it's been useful uh, odd occasion of asthma as well asthma has been cured not cured but controlled to a degree yeah so that's the point but the libertarian argument is different they'll be like the state should not be doing this we are adults we can do this or that look there might be a midway in india what i am not saying mdma ko legalize kar do fentanyl ko legalize kar do heroin ko legalize kar do are marijuana to chhod do logo ke liye and somewhere you have to draw the line and let us have a discussion about it in india and a culture which till the 80s marijuana was legal aur ye bhi tujhe malum hai nikhil ki wo log ne wo bhang ki dukane aur ye sab dukane kyon karayi kyunki they knew there is a certain element in the hindu samaj which was like what are you doing this is part of our religion how can you stop us from consuming marijuana and they had to find a way out and in india you have government shops selling marijuana what nonsense here look kuchal there is one other element that's a very important element you know who suffers the most are always the marginalized sections of society they are they are the ones who get caught with small amounts most people in jail will be from their community always exactly. works out always works out so you know you you've got to there are different points i'm making one better evidentiary standards two better evidentiary protections procedural protections better policing per se i have no problem arrest any and everybody if they if they if they committed an offense you have to have higher quality policing right there are judgments for example that say when you when you when you arrest someone the sine qua non of a prosecution in this case is an fsl report that these were in fact drugs right this is a scientifically driven prosecution procedure as well This is not about testimonies here and there. Testimonies come into it when you are looking at other cognate offences such as conspiracies, etc. But to the core offence, it's a scientific offence. The the evidence is to be scientific. Uh, once we start deviating away from this and saying let's make the lives of the prosecuting authority easier by calling WhatsApp chats as extrajudicial confessions. and they are admissible and sufficient by themselves i think we're moving not just to a police state we the, the quality of policing that we are then uh, incentivizing is extremely low and extremely poor uh, look all i know is that the tragedy of our country is that we do not have mature conversations about anything we 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 have this weird sort of absurd syndrome and we we have a lot of uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say this, man. We just have a lot of bad ideas. They are not data based. I mean, I'm so grateful to you that you read that survey report, and you know, I had also shared some other data to back it up. But the point is, there is just no discussion which is based on data. We need more de-addiction centers, and that is the job of the government. today even today in india most of the de-addiction work is done by private centers, and lo and behold, religious groups do it. 
you know religious groups are hugely involved in de addiction and drug related or alcohol related any kind of uh, matter no, no, it is the no, religious sorry. groups if this will help people because i think the point that you're raising is this is how conversions happen as well what does anybody who wants to convert another person need they need a person who's in a vulnerable state of life and you are the savior at that moment in time yeah i mean it's crazy man i i don't know so look look my job at least the job i i think is my uh, of this podcast is to put facts on the table make people think you 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 believe this act is good fine you know i i can't change your mind i think this act is ridiculous it is draconian i think we need to st- i don't say legal ma- maybe you know make recreational marijuana legal in india as a first step uh, okay at least decriminalize it if you find someone with it chide them and if they are a distributor or a peddler involved in some hardcore crime like pablo escobar was with cocaine and and unko nab karo na matlab aam aadmi ko yaar dhakel rahe hain aur ye kar rahe i don't know see at least we have tried to present the case over here and you know nikhil was kind enough to actually go through the law he's always that that's why i always push him like i request him by law nikal bata logo ko at least we know what we are looking at you know we are a democracy where the state fails and we are only outside in our houses and not in jail is because the state has chosen not to jail us as anand ranganathan says well that's more of free speech thing i think less so over here uh just don't don't have marijuana on your possession man you're fine don't worry you're not going to get arrested for jail that's crazy anyways we'll wrap today's discussion up nikhil thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and uh, you, you know so educating us about the indian law Okay, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion. First of all, अपनी सारी WhatsApp chat delete कर दो. ये सबसे पहला advice. मैं आज live stream पढ़ रहा था. उसमें सबसे पहले लोगों ने बोला, अरे WhatsApp में disappearing messages की setting चालू करो. दूसरा, look, I'm not someone who's going to tell you. Uh, I'm not a consumer of uh, narcotics, or I, I'm not in. I don't even consume alcohol, which is. Uh, and now Nikhil might be like, तू तो useless आदमी है. But it is what it is. I don't even consume alcohol, so. i don't smoke i don't do these things but i have uh, I, my angle has always been from the angle of freedom also i want people to empathize with these people i don't want you to have scorn i want you to have empathy and there has to be a carrots and sticks model not the third rated san francisco model where you know log raste mein poopy kar rahe hain aur usko bhi wo log koi you know ultra left wing progressive point of view se justify karenge no, no no way am i doing any anything of that sort i just want you to have an open mind about these things and then you know uh, let the chips fall wherever they are anyways we'll end today's discussion on that uh I will leave the article that Nikhil recently wrote on on the Aryan Khan case for Quint. I'm going to leave it in the description of the podcast, so it doesn't matter if you are going to be watching this on YouTube or listening to the audio extract of this on uh, on Spotify, Apple, whatever, wherever you are listening to it. Please go and read that article too. I think it will give you a good context uh, after listening to this podcast. If you go and read Nikhil's Quint piece, and you will realize what is happening. Um, Secondly, please subscribe to the channel, like the video, leave a comment, uh, support the Charvak podcast. You know, if you can pledge a monthly support either on YouTube or Patreon, or your donations through UPI or the merch. I'll see you guys next time. Uh, tomorrow is another podcast, uh, so I'll see you next time. Until then, namaste, take care, goodbye.